It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hello again, everyone. Welcome. My name is Matt Hausman, your host for the Smart Money Questions podcast. It's hard to believe the first six months of 2020 have already passed. I, it reminds me of the very beginning of the year when I did a, I was talking about, it's hard to believe it's been 20 years since the Y2K episode happened and all the concerns and worries that were happening as what's going to happen on January 1 of 2000. And here we are, not only 20 years after that, but it's hard to believe it's already been six months in 2020. And we can all agree the first six months have been packed with unusual, unprecedented circumstances. So listen, I hope everyone has a great 4th of July this weekend. Go out there, be safe, have a great time. I always love it when those type of holidays are on a Friday or Saturday, kind of get to extend it throughout the weekend instead of it being, say, hey, a Wednesday. <laughs> so. But listen, one of the things I, I want to talk to you about today are probably within just the last three weeks, I have had conversations with five different clients on this one subject. And it really got me thinking not only about answering to them, I reached out to some professionals that are in this industry to find out what was really going on. I know that I'd been hearing a lot of ads and stuff, but really wanted to get and have an understanding on what is out there, what's real, and maybe what is a little false advertising. And it has to do with mortgages and understanding mortgages. And I'm going to go over that today because, you know, the reality is for many people, a home is the largest purchase that they're ever going to have. And then how we use that asset, especially not only when we purchase it, but potentially refi it later or use it as collateral. Let's say I had this happen about six years ago with a client that used collateral up here to buy a place down south. And so I want to jump into that today. And then the other thing that I think there really hasn't been a lot of discussion on, but I want to make sure that people understand it. And if you have the opportunity to invest in this account, it's one of the best accounts you can invest in. And that is a HSA, a health savings account. So I'm going to go over both of those today. Um, the HSA is just something that I know that we're, we're getting ready to make our third quarter contribution into the HSA this year, Maggie and I. I know that uh, other clients have the opportunity where they work to have an HSA, and that is one of the best accounts that you can fund. And then you just want to make sure that you know how to use it accordingly so we don't get into any type of tax traps with that. So listen, before we jump into that, let's make sure we deal with the disclaimer. Please don't take any of the information or ideas or suggestions that I offer in today's show as direct advice for you. Please use it as information and education that you then can discuss with your advisor. Now, if you don't have an advisor or you would like for us to be your advisor, I'm more than happy to have that conversation with you. And it's real simple. All you have to do is go to www.speakwithmat.com. That's www.speakwithmat.com. And my online scheduler is right there. You can go right in. You can schedule a 15 or 30-minute phone conversation. And quite frankly, at the end of that first call, we're going to have a good idea. Does it make sense to have 
a second conversation. So again, very low key, go right into the online scheduler. You don't even have to get on the phone with anyone to schedule this. So again, speakwithmatt.com, www.speakwithmatt.com and schedule it there. So, all right, let's go ahead and get on to today's show. All right, so let's jump into mortgages. The reality is what has happened over the course of the last 120 days, not that rates weren't already very attractive, but mortgage rates have dramatically dropped to historic lows. And so in the event you're in a situation like I was talking with some younger clients last week, and they were talking about the idea of purchasing a home, thinking about they're looking to purchase probably in the next 12 to 18 months. And a purchase type of mortgage is going to have different characteristics on how the bank is going to price out the, the terms, whether it's a 15, a 20, a 30-year, a variable, an arm, or a fix. We're going to jump into all of that. And then how they use that later on, that asset, that home, can be, uh, if we use it correctly, can be one of the best purchases that we've ever made. And so let's talk about the different types of mortgages. So first of all, we have a purchase mortgage. Obviously, that's when we are going to look to purchase home. And by the way, let me address this real quick, is that in the event you are looking to purchase, and this was my advice to them just last week, is that we all are usually going to be dealing with a realtor. The realtor is going to be showing us the property. The realtor could even be drafting the purchase contract And you want to make sure that you have an understanding on what that purchase contract, what is in there, what are you agreeing to, and potentially the seller agreeing to. You really want to make sure that the contingencies, let's say inspection contingencies, mortgage contingencies, all of those, you have a clear understanding on what that is. And many times, maybe it's in your best interest to reach out to a real estate attorney. You always hear me talk about estate law, and we're looking to have an estate attorney. In this case, you want a real estate attorney in the state where you are looking to buy, maybe to then represent you. So now you have the realtor, who could be extremely experienced, but now you have a legal eye looking at it on your behalf. Sometimes in some of the states that we have worked with clients on, they actually represent the borrower at the closing table. So not only are they looking at the purchase contract, they are also now looking at the mortgage documents that the buyer or their client is getting ready to sign. So that's something you really want to think about. Let's don't just deal with the realtor. Maybe it makes really, I mean, if it's the largest purchase that we're going to make, then maybe spending five, eight, nine hundred, a thousand dollars on a real estate attorney makes sense to make sure that we are. And actually, that actually reminds me when Maggie and I first moved down here from New York is um, we were dealing with a very experienced realtor. And uh, she had, uh, we wrote the contract up. We went over everything. Many of you know that I've, I've had uh, a lot of experience in real estate. I felt comfortable with uh, everything that was within the contract. Long story short is the seller ended up in one of our inspections deciding, I'm not fixing it. We were in the position, it was a pretty large amount that had to be fixed. We were in the position, well, we're not fixing it. We're not going to come out of pocket with that. Plus, in reality, they should have disclosed this to us during their, our going to contract versus our closing. Our time was a little extended because of the circumstances that we had and that they had, so it worked out. We thought really well, but then this one thing 
failed on inspection. And at the advice of our realtor, we retained a real estate attorney who assisted us in going through the process to get our escrow moneyed back. So again, if you're in that purchase situation, it might make sense to really reach out to a real estate attorney and have them represent you during that process. Okay. So then the other thing we have is outside of a purchase mortgage, we have a cash out refinance. So what that means is we've already owned the property for a while. We're going to refi out and we're going to pull equity out of our home and we're going to tack it onto the, uh, the refinance, the total mortgage that's coming out. And then we also have what's called a rate and term refinance. And so that's where all we're looking to do is whatever our existing mortgage terms are, we're going to change them. Either we're going to extend it out. Let's say that we've been paying on a 30-year, been paying on a 10 years, and the rates are really good. So the rate has dropped down. I'm just going to do a rate and term, but I want to extend it 30 more years. Or maybe I, want, I was at a 20. Now I want to go to a 10 because the rate's so much lower and I can afford the payments to get it paid off faster. It's real important to understand, especially with a cash out refi and a rate and term refi on how those rates are going to be different and the different things that you can do within there. So what I did is I reached out to a mortgage professional that I have worked with in the past and actually sent uh, referred clients over to. And I had her put together in the event we wanted to do a rate and term, what would that look like? Uh, most importantly, what I'm looking at is what's the rate going to be? What are the fees going to be? Okay, so I'm going to go over that with you as well. Now, in this case, what she is quoting out is what's called a conventional loan. Okay, conventional is a banking term as to the different underwriting and then how they are going to price it out. What's going to be my interest rate? But the other types of rates or the mortgages that are out there are FHA mortgages and VA mortgages. And so those are going to have different pricing along with different requirements. For instance, VA, obviously uh, Veterans Administration, there's going to, you're going to have to have some connection to be able to get that type of loan. And FHA is going to be backed by HUD and is also going to have different requirements not only by the borrower, but also potentially the home and the different aesthetics of the home and structural issues, that kind of stuff, because now HUD is backing that that home. Okay. So there's, you know, we have FHA, VA, and then conventional loans. We, I just mentioned like 15, 20, and 30 year loans. We have fixed rate accounts. So what that means is, so for instance, the one I'm looking at right now is a rate and term conventional loan fixed for 30 years. And the interest rate is 2.875% or two and seven eighths. That's a really, really low rate. That's fixed the entire 360 months or 30 years that I'm into the mortgage, so to speak. Okay, now we also have, that's a fix, that we have a variable account, and the variables can work in different ways. It can be a one-year variable, meaning every year that rate is potentially going to change off of some type of, we'll use prime, that's going to be based on a prime rate, and it's going to move up and down as prime does, usually with a margin, so for instance, if it's prime plus one and prime's at four, my rate is five for the next 12 months. I can still be on a 20 or 30 year mortgage. In other words, the payments of time, but the rate is going to adjust. Another one, I, I'm working with someone right now and uh, they have a, last year they did a seven one arm. 
What does that mean? That means it's an adjustable rate mortgage, but for the first seven years, it is fixed at that closing rate that they did at the table. It'll be that rate. Let's say it's 3%. It's 3% for seven years. And then it's going to adjust annually based on some type of um, of rate that they're looking at. Usually it's going to be prime or the LIBOR, and then it's going to have a margin again. It can be a plus margin. It can be a negative margin. Okay. Now, the other thing, what I was looking at in R, so I just told you what, what this is, what would they call this? This is a pre-application worksheet. So then what we're looking at is a fixed 30-year conventional loan at two and seven eighths. Then it goes over, okay, now what are the closing costs? Well, the first of all, what we have is we have lender fees. So we have origination fees. In this case, the only thing they're looking to charge is a processing fee and an underwriting fee. And then they threw in discount points. So what that means is I am paying up front to reduce that interest rate. In this case, I'm paying a half a point up front to lower my interest rate by an eighth. So you kind of have to do the math. Okay, if I, that's going to lower my payment and lower my interest charges. When am I going to be made whole for that? Then they have an appraisal fee, which is pretty standard. We've got a credit report fee, again, which is pretty standard. They won't let you just pull up your credit karma. <laughs> so they're going to want to pull their own as part of their underwriting file. They potentially can have an attorney fee who's drafting the docs for the bank. And again, a lot of that depends on the states that you're in. In this case, it's Pennsylvania. We don't really have to worry about that. Then we have what are called prepays and reserves. So the prepays are going to be like, let's say, a daily interest charge. So if I close today, what's today? Today is the 29th. I'm only going to have to pay daily interest for a couple of days because then on the 1st, that payment won't be due until August 1st, so a couple of days. In this case, she just went ahead and put it like we're going to close in the middle of the month, so 16 days at the interest cost that we talked about earlier, which is 2 and 7 eighths. Then potentially there's mortgage insurance premium. So you want to be really careful. If you see something there, you want to really be talking to your mortgage professional as to what type of loan they are giving you if there's any type of mortgage insurance premium payments uh, or PMI. You know, Usually that's going to be associated with a FHA loan because there, you don't have as much equity into the property. And then we can have a VA funding fee, flood insurance, any other taxes that are due to close at the account. And then you want to be looking at, hey, listen, do I want to have escrows where they're going to collect my taxes and insurance money and then make those payments on my behalf, or am I going to do it? In this case, I would have to say, okay, let's go ahead. Let's, I want to have all of our taxes escrowed. So then this is where the underwriter is going to decide how much they want in advance to sit in your escrow account. So in this case, our homeowner's insurance, they want five months up front. Property taxes, they want on county, they want seven months for school taxes. They only want two. And then there's an adjustment that's put in there based on different parameters, again, on this insurance amount. Then we have title and closing fees, settlement fee, closing fee, escrows, title endorsement fees, courier fees, wire fees, recording fees. And then we have title insurance and potentially other recording fees, maybe an additional mortgage, or if there's a deed that has to be redone to be able to make the new mortgage applicable based on certain circumstances. If there's city and county state uh, tax stamps, like for instance, in New York, you pay a tax on the mortgage itself, and that's considered a recording fee over and above just recording 
a new mortgage. And so each state's going to be different. The other thing you want to be looking at here, which is one of the things I noticed, is she's charging full boat on the title insurance. So then you want to say, hey, listen, am I eligible for any type of discounts? Maybe because I have my owner's policy. Maybe I just bought the property five years ago and rates have come down 1.5%. And so it makes sense for me to go ahead and, and refi. Can I get a discount on the insurance. And so then you're going to look at the total of the closing fee. In this case, it's a little over $7,000. But again, part of that's my money because I requested escrowed money. Part of it is because I'm electing to pay down the rate. I'm willing to pay that, that half a point uh, to have that rate go lower than 3%. So again, making sure that you understand the type of loan that you're getting into, the different fees that are associated. So for instance, this is a rate and term refi. If there was going to be a cash out, more than likely, just to let you know, the rate's going to be a little higher. If this is a purchase contract, there's going to be additional fees in there that um, potentially realtor fees, potentially if there's any other issues that were negotiated between you and the seller. In most states, we have transfer tax. Who's paying the transfer tax? Is it the buyer, the seller? Is it a combination of both? Can you negotiate that? Absolutely. As they would say, everything is negotiable. So again, when you're looking at this, you just want to make sure you understand what it is you're paying and the type of loan that you are getting into. Okay. And so the other thing, we, the other type of mortgage that's out there, and by the way, you can have a loan just like this in a second mortgage loan. So you have a first, maybe the same parameters, and then you have a second that's the same type of closed-in loan. In this case, it's 360 months. If I'm paying in advance, it does pay the principal down, but it doesn't affect my payment. My payment isn't reduced over time because I'm making extra payments. It's going to stay constant. It's a closed-in loan. I can, I can pay it off early, but it's a scheduled AM schedule that has exactly the month and then it has, like, let's say, August 1st is going to be my first payment. How much is going to principal and how much is going to interest? It's already defined. And what happens is if I'm making extra payments, I'm moving forward in that. A second mortgage is exactly the same way. But there is one that's a little different. And quite frankly, this can be in first or second or third position. And that's what's called a home equity line of credit. And those accounts are going to have what's called a draw schedule. What that means is they kind of work like an inverted checking account where your home is the collateral. So let's say that I have uh, my home is worth $500,000 and I've got a $200,000 home equity line of credit. That means that I have access to pull $200,000 out of my home, go do whatever I want with it, but obviously I have to be able to pay it back. And then the payback is going to be based on the bank that you're dealing with and is it a fixed home equity line of credit interest rate? Is it a variable, which most of them are variable, going, they, they might have an introductory fixed rate, let's say for the first six to 24 months. And then after that, it's going to move most of the home equity lines that I have seen, they move off of prime. So it's going to be prime plus or minus. Again, that's the margin. And usually with the home equity lines, when you go to close, regardless if it's in first or second or third position, is you're going to have very, very minimal closing costs. Very, very minimal. Some of them, some banks, quite frankly, if you're already doing your banking there, there's no closing costs. There's maybe a $200 appraisal fee, and that's it. Maybe a doc prep fee of a couple hundred dollars. But usually it's not. This is a great instrument now for you to be able to utilize the equity in your home when needed that doesn't affect the tax man. 
It's a great, great instrument to be able to utilize. Now, we obviously have to realize we're going to pay it back. And this is where we want to understand how is the bank expecting us to pay it back? So, for instance, is it going to be interest only for a certain period of time? Or is it going to require principal and interest to go in? Okay, so it's real important for you to have an understanding on that. The other thing is some of the banks that I have seen lately, and actually this goes back for about 10 years, is if I have an automatic minimum payment, let's say it's interest only, that gets taken directly out of my checking account or savings account, they will automatically reduce my rate by, I've seen as much as one point. Usually you're going to see a, you know, a quarter point to a half a point is going to be reduced there. So again, making sure that you're understanding all aspects of the, of the mortgage, that the type of mortgage you're taking out, and um, what the payback is. Um, and again, a home equity line of credit, many of my clients have heard me preach about this for a long time. That is a great instrument to be able to have on your home that can be very, very valuable when needed, when needed. So, okay, well, listen, um, that's all I have on that. If you have specific questions on that, please reach out to us. I'm more than happy to do what I've done numerous times, which is get on the phone or meet with you and your mortgage professional. Again, I'm going to be your advocate sitting on uh, your side to be able to make sure that you're understanding exactly what it is you're getting ready to jump into. So always know that you can do that. You can reach out to us at speakwithmat.com. Speakwithmat.com is my online scheduler, or you can simply give us a call, 610 610- 719-3003 and schedule a time. I'll be more than happy to uh, do that and assist that with you. Okay, so let's jump into the other one I just want to address real quick, and that is a health savings account. So just to let you know about a health savings account, this is an account that you can establish. Sometimes it can even be uh, with your employer. Your employer could have already, uh, or that the plan, the health insurance plan that you have is eligible, and they have, they could even be contributing to the HSA for you. And you want to understand how these accounts work. They can be extremely advantageous for you if the right uh, circumstances are going to fit for you. First of all, you want to make sure you have to have a high deductible health plan that qualifies for HSA contributions. Again, if you're uh, at an employer and they have an HSA account, you want to just make sure that you have the, if they're offering you different type of health plans, that you have the one that is going to be qualified for them to potentially make contributions for you and you to make contributions in. The other thing we want to realize that this money can, right now, so for instance, 2020, the individual limit is $3,550. For a family plan, it's $7,100 for the year 2020. If you're over 55, you get an extra $1,000 catch-up uh, contribution that you can put into it. Now, here's the great thing is that you, this goes in pre-tax, so it's just like a traditional IRA. If it, you're in a situation like me and you're using after-tax dollars, we actually get to take a top-of-the-line deduction on our monies that we put in there. So in this case, we max funded at $7,100. So we get a reduction there. If you're doing it at your employer, it's probably coming out pre-tax through payroll deduction. Most of the time, this is not going to be subject to state or local taxes as well. But again, you're going to want to make sure that you discuss that with your accountant. Then, however you are investing the money, could just be sitting in a savings account. Could be like in our account, it's invested in a very uh, aggressive, diversified portfolio, 85% stock, 15% bonds. The reason that we're doing that is because the one thing that the HSA allows us to do is at some future time, 
for qualified medical expenses, we can pull that money out in any tax year as long as they, uh, the expenses happened after the HSA was uh, put in place and it comes out to us tax-free. It truly is the only tax-free account we can have. The money goes in pre-tax or we get a top-of-the-line deduction. Then it's going to grow tax-deferred. And then as long as we use it for qualifying medical expenses at some future time, it's going to come out tax-free. It's the only account out there that is like that. In the event you have not, if you're uh, working for an employer, and you have not reached out to your HR to find out if you have the ability for an HSA plan, I highly encourage you to do that. If you are self-employed, more than likely you already have a high deductible qualifying plan you would definitely want to look to do it. Now, I'll tell you what Maggie and I do, and um, we've been doing this for quite a while now, is that we max fund our HSA. As I said, it's invested very aggressively. Do we have medical bills every year? Absolutely. So, But we're paying for those medical bills with our after-tax dollars, keeping the receipts to be able to cash them all in at one future time. And when that money comes out, it'll all be tax-free to us because we have those qualifying medical expenses. Now, some clients I have that utilize the HSA, they want to use it immediately for when those medical expenses come up. So in, if that's the case, I would highly suggest that you really consider, again, the risk you're taking within your HSA. And maybe you actually want to have that money sitting in cash to be ready for when that medical expense comes up, especially if you already know that you're going to have ongoing medical expenses, or maybe you you know that your deductible, let's say, is $3,500 a year. I'm just going to use that up, make that up. So $3,500 is our deductible. We know that we're probably going to hit that. Then that $3,550 that we put in as contribution, we do not want to invest it the way I'm investing it. You want to leave that money in cash. Again, positioning our money with purposes. The purpose is we're going to get the tax deduction, and then we're going to pay that deductible tax-free. We want to make sure that we're investing it the way that we know we're going to need to use it. Now, a couple of things about the HSA you do want to realize. There are some drawbacks. First of all, I have to have a high deductible plan, right? So if I don't want to have a high deductible health insurance plan, then this HSA is not going to work for me. So if my employer is offering a couple different plans and I only want a $1,500 deductible, and that's not a qualifying high deductible plan, then the HSA isn't going to work for me. So that's one thing you really want to be aware of is you're creating the opportunity for uh, tax deductible, tax growth free, and uh, disbursements uh, tax free. But we also are taking on some risk there. Why? Because our deductibles are going to be higher. So that's one thing we really want to be aware of. The other thing we want to be aware of is if we are taking the money out before the age of 65 and it's not for a qualifying medical expense, we are going to be subject to fines, taxes. 20% tax penalty is going to be levied against those withdrawals. So we really want to make sure that we are using it for qualifying medical expenses. So we want to make sure we understand both sides. Is it a great account? It is if it fits into our overall plan and we understand how to use it. The other thing we want to look at, especially if you're in our situation and you're self-employed, or and quite frankly, even if you have an employer-sponsored HSA plan, you look at who the custodian is and what investment options are there. So um, we researched ours. We found a um, 
a custodian that is very easy to work with, along with their investments that they have available, they correspond with our investment philosophy. And so we were able to, you know, in our HSA account, we basically mimic the other accounts that we have and how we're investing those. So again, real important. Is there a cost to that? Yes, there. most all of them are going to have a cost uh, unless you're with an employer-sponsored plan. And, and usually then the costs are, are very, very very, very minimal. So again, if you have questions about that, if you haven't, re- or if you reach out to your, your employer and they have one, or you're self-employed and you're looking to establish your own and you have questions, all you got to do is reach out to us. Again, speakwithmat.com, www.speakwithmat.com, and you can uh, go right on there, schedule a 15 or 30-minute conference call. Be more than happy to answer questions for you on either one of these subjects or anything else you might have. If you have a question or scenario that you would like for us to address, you can go right to smartmoneyquestions.com. Again, www.smartmoneyquestions.com. If you go to the podcast little tab up there and then you come down, you'll see where it says ask a question. You can click right there. There's two ways that you can submit a question there. You can either record something, it comes right to us uh, through the internet, or you can simply type a question and that will come right to us as well. Of course, you can always email us directly at info at smartmoneyquestions.com, and we will look to address that on an upcoming show. So listen, everyone, that's all I've got for you today. I hope this has been valuable. Again, these are important subjects, and if you want to reach out to us, please do. That's why we're here. We're here to help. Listen, everyone, take care. We'll talk to you soon.